Hey, it's Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Encouragers United podcast. start with a little example. This is a bit of my liberty as pastor and the lead teacher of our church. When a newborn is fully realized, many, many things change for this little human, as you can imagine. This happens to be, of course, my flesh and blood. Callum Wayne Griffith was born on August 28th. And I love this picture because his, his other grandmother is holding him, I believe, And I want you to focus on his eyes, because these are brand new eyes. This was taken probably within a week of his birth. And when a newborn is fully revealed, the whole dimension of their life has changed. And so their senses come alive, and they start breathing on their own. They start moving. They realize that they can see. And so these eyes are staring into a loving, wonderful grandmother's eyes, probably. And he's realizing the depth of sight. The physical nature of being able to see is something that you and I all experienced when we were born. And it was a whole new world, right? So I want you to keep this image, this metaphor in your minds this morning. Because we have a big idea today that this passage will capture. And that big idea today is that we need the enlightening work the revealing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to be able to fully understand who we are and how we're supposed to relate to God. Right? It's a whole new birth. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 3 meets with one of the, one of the most wise and, and, and respected teachers of Israel, a rabbi, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking in the physical, and he says, oh my word, how can that happen? But it's your, you're being born of the Spirit. You're being born again. And when we realize this new birth, we have to have new eyes. And we have a whole new paradigm that we have to engage with. And so that's the big idea that Paul tackles today. Last week we started this great message. We, we established a framework for us to live in this transformation. That we would be God-ordained. And Christ-centered and Spirit-led. Isn't that neat? We saw all the, the persons, the people, the persons, the, the, the titles, the roles of the Trinity in that first section. And that we might live in this transformation, in this new birth, a God-ordained life that is centered upon the, the redeeming work of, and love of Christ, led by the Holy Spirit as our deposit inside us for the future hope that we have. Powerful statements that we went over. Now that sounds pretty catchy. We hope to maybe even put it on some wall hangings and help you memorize it as the mission of our church. That we would live God-ordained, Christ-centered, and Spirit-led lives. That sounds great, Pastor Charlie. Now what in the world does that mean? Because i got to get up every morning and go to work or school and do my thing. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you're here today. In this section of this letter, Paul praises God for the Ephesians. Right? If you have your Bibles, you can turn right there to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 15. Just a quick reminder, we have a few more of these. I forgot it last week, but uh, I don't know if you can see this. But it is, it is, the first two pages are already filled with my personal reflections upon this 
text. And so those are back there for you. If you'd like one, please take it, read it, dissect it, pull it apart, formulate the sentences, study the words, but it's yours if you would like to take it with you. He starts in verse 15 and 16, and he says, for this reason. Wow, that's a big reason, Paul. The first 14 verses, right? All of yes, last week's sermon. For this reason, the transformation that you're living in, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Awesome. I've heard about what you're doing, he says. I love what I hear. And I'm so thankful for you. It's what cheers him up when he's in prison. He's being held for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. People don't know what to do with him. And so they just sequestered Paul. We've got to keep this guy out of the public. He's causing all kinds of trouble. But his memories go back to the Ephesian people. And he loves them. And he's thankful for them. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. But he gives thanks for them. He gives thanks to God for two primary reasons. Right? Did you catch it? Their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all people. Wow. Two foundational benchmarks, two two notable things that could be said about a church. Wow. That we here at Walnut Creek Mennonite Church would have faith in Christ Jesus and that we would have love for all people. Wow. That's it right there. Those two things that he praises God for. And I have kept you in my prayers, he says. Verse 17, he keeps going. He's going to reveal to us a little bit about this prayer. Like, well, what are you praying for us, Paul? Well, this is what I'm asking. I'm asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Wow, that's what we're praying. That's what he's praying for us. And and the Trinity is all present right there. God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the capital S, Spirit, who gives us wisdom and revelation. And I want you to to focus on those two words here. Paul prays that even we, all believers, would have the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want you to think about those words for a second with me. Don't just gloss over them. I know there's so much here. But we're going to stop here for just a second. It's beautiful. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom, from, from my perspective, is kind of like knowing what to do at the right time. Right? And to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. That's wisdom. And wisdom is sometimes often defined in, in other ways as knowing and seeing the world for how it really is. That's a great definition too. Like, no, I see what's actually going on here. And, and some of you have more wisdom than others, right? Oh, you want to talk to a wise person when you have a question about the world, about what to do, about making a decision. I need the wisdom, Lord, to know what to do at the right time. And we go to our trusted wise friends, right? We may pray to God, give me the wisdom to know and to see the world the way it really is. That's what we're asking for. Ah, but what's Revelation. The definition of revelation is really the knowing of something that's previously unknown or previously hidden. Oh, so Paul wants us to have the spirit, capital S, that helps us to see the world as it really is and see things that we previously couldn't or didn't see. Awesome. 
Because you realize that we tend to deal in extremes a lot. Like some of us live our lives, unfortunately, and we just, we're who we are, and we got our worldview, and we're just going to do our thing, and we're wise people, and I'm good. Is there anything new of God that you might learn? Eh, I'm good. Okay. Or... We live in this mystical, magical world of wanting to see something new every time we go to church. Or like, like I wasn't moved if it wasn't just like this bright light shining on me every day that I get a revelation with God. We live in that charismatic world. And like, well, do you know anything of God right now that you can really, no, I want more new. It's all so beautiful. And you, you get what my point is. But yet Paul asks God to give the Ephesians, i.e. us, both a spirit of wisdom and revelation at the same time. It's beautiful. It's right there in verse 17. He goes on here now in the next two verses. And I want you to just really highlight these. Because we're going to spend a lot of time in these two verses. They are so action-packed, folks. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. In order that you may... Know the hope to which he's called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In his incomparably great power for us who believe. We'll stop there. That's verses 18 and 19. And so he prays specifically here for three things. You can, you can catch it. He's praying for enlightenment. He's praying for the spirit that gives us wisdom and revelation to understand three things. Did you catch him? I highlighted the first one, the hope to which he's called you. So he's praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that would enlighten us to understand the hope that we have. I love the, like the, I, I, you know, the different translations of the Bible sometimes bring out different nuances because sometimes we don't often understand what hope is in the biblical sense, right? So sometimes we think that hope is like a long shot. Like, man, I'd really like to go to the Wayne County Fair this afternoon. I hope it doesn't rain, right? (laughs) I don't know whether it's going to rain or not. I'll check the radar, right? Oh, boy, I I hope I... I... We think of hope sometimes as this long-off shot. Like, uh, I hope, hope I don't mess this up, right? The New Living Translation, I didn't put it up on the screen, but it says this, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light. So that you would understand the confident hope that he's given to those he called. A confident hope. Maybe a confident expectation. Think of it that way. I have hope. You see, yesterday there was pretty much a whole stadium full of people who pretty much had a confident hope that the Ohio State Buckeyes were going to beat the Youngstown State University Penguins. Right? I mean, let's face it. My apologies to Youngstown State fans. But we do these games this time of the year in college football, right? And I just go down through the scores, and I'm like, ooh, 73, ooh, 81, ooh, 65, 56, 56, 35, 45. Ooh. You see what I'm getting at? There is a confident expectation in these games as to what's actually going to happen. Right, And so the Penguins came down from Youngstown. It wasn't a very far drive. And they just had a wonderful day. And and trust me, I've been in those situations. I've been the AD of the other school. And you go to these games and you go, there's really no hope at all. 
because of the confident expectation of what's going to actually happen. You get it? And so Paul is praying that we would have this confident expectation that has both a, all, all a present, but it has a past and a future. I didn't do that right. Sorry. Past, present, and future. It has an aspect of all time. It's an all-time expectant hope that God has worked in the past, He is going to work right now, and He will work in the future. You get it? An expectation, a confident expectation. We are bound by time. God is not. And so we like to think of it this way. In fact, one of the richest and most beautiful hymns that we sing here in our church, Blessed Assurance. Blessed assurance. I want you to look at that song with me just a couple minutes. Paul prays that we might know the confident, blessed assurance that we have in Christ. Blessed assurance. And that blessed assurance has a past, a present, and a future. But just take a look at the first verse here. But I want you to think about the tense, the, the time that's associated with this. Blessed assurance. That is in the present. I have a blessed assurance in the present. Jesus is mine. That's present. Oh, what a foretaste. What a, what a prediction. What, a, what an anticipation of glory divine in the future. I'm an heir of salvation. Present. I'm the purchase of God. Something that happened in the past. I'm born of his spirit. And I'm washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Okay? So we go on and the, the other verses, you, you look it up this week. I'll, I'll just share with you verse 4. I didn't put it up on the screen. But perfect submission. All is at rest. I, in my Savior, happy and blessed. Watching and waiting. Looking above. Filled with his goodness. Lost in his love. It's a powerful verse, isn't it? It's a wonderful poem. But it speaks to this blessed assurance, this hope that we have. But that's not all he talks about. That's not all he's praying for us. Go back to the verses again. That we may know the hope to which we're called, but that we may also know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The inheritance of and in his holy people. Paul prays that we might know the, the, the riches to which we are entitled to. Woo, that sounds good. And this verse actually has a double meaning. Commentators and scholars will tell you that we are indeed going to receive the inheritance, right? Blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacekeepers, blessed are the hungry, and those that thirst for righteousness. They're going to receive God. They're going to receive the kingdom of God as an inheritance. We want you to understand the double meaning here. In this verse, he's saying you are the inheritance. Like, you are the inheritance. You are the pleasure of God. He did all this because he loves you. And you are going to be inherited. Isn't that cool? Like, that, that, that we, that yes, God is a person. God has a personality. God wants you. And you are his inheritance. What a relationship. And some of us don't even understand. Can you imagine what it will be like to see all of God's creation in its original glory? 
Like, like back to when he said, this is good. Right? He spoke it into existence. He said, this is good. And he said that about you and me as well. He created man and woman in his likeness. And he put them together. And he said, this is good. This is very good. Can you imagine? Because we don't understand that right now. Everything we see is broken. Everything we see is tainted. Everything we see is not as God originally attended it. But we will see. And we will inherit what God originally ordained. It's so powerful to think about. And, and, and remember, the context. Paul is saying, I want you to have hope in that. Because that's a hope that's not rooted in this world. That's a hope that's rooted in the heavenly world. In the heavenly realms, we understand that. And that we have riches. We are the riches. We are the creation that will be redeemed and restored. And we're going to share it. We're all going to share it. I'm going to run me a sub four minute mile. I'll tell you that. Because this old body in, in prepared and even at its best, it couldn't run a sub four minute mile. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to get my shoes on and I'm going to figure it out. Because I think a, a fully restored Pastor Charlie is going to be able to do a lot of different things. And that's my inheritance. I will run it with Elijah, some of you Old Testament scholars. The inheritance is something that we both receive, but it is something that we are. That's so beautiful. So I want you to have the enlightenment in your heart through the spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand those things. So he goes back to the verse a third time. I pray that you'll understand the hope. That you'll know the riches of his glorious inheritance and, this is my favorite part, the incomparably great power for us who believe. The incomparably great power. Is he trying to say something? Is he trying to emphasize something here? Paul prays that we would know the power to which we have access to. The hope to which we are entitled. The inheritance that is ours and the power that we have access to. Now, I'm going to geek out here for a second. Just bear with me. You look at the actual words here in the translation. Because the, the English doesn't do it justice, right? That's often the case. Our, 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 our language is wonderful, but it's limited. And this is what 19 looks like when you look at your, when you look at your Bible. So he says, and his incomparably great power. And the word that he uses there is dynamis. Dynamis. Everybody knows where that's going, right? Like, and that infers a potential or, or, or an ability, a capacity, dynamite, right? That's what we say, dynamite. Ooh, handle it carefully because it's got the potential to blow you up, right? So that's the word that he uses here first. His incomparably great potential for those of us who believe. And then he goes on in verse 19, the rest of it, the power, and he uses a different word there. He uses the energia. The energia, which infers the, the work in action, right? So it's a, it's a power, but it's in motion in this word energia. Is the same as the mighty strength. And then that, and that, that word strength is a third way that he's describing it. Because that's the force, okay? In physics, we study force, and it has a direction, and it has a magnitude, right? Physicists, force iscus and it's mighty and it is the same force that did what the same force that raised jesus from the dead is what will also raise you from the dead 
Now let that sink in for a second. Because that power, that dynamis, that potential is going to be put into inertia, into action, into energy through a force that will resurrect you. That's, that's pretty good power, right? God, I want you to think about that. Sometimes in Christianity, we just gloss over that. Like, oh yeah, Jesus raised from the dead. Whatever happened. No, no, walk out of this building and think that. Everything we touch, everything we look at, everything we, we do should be permeated with an understanding that there is a power that raised a dead man back to life. Like roadkill. Like, whoops, ooh, sorry, Mr. Groundhog. Yikes, stay out of the road. And we see him laying on the road, right? Or a deer or a skunk or a who knows what. That's a power that would bring that, that lifeless body, that flesh, back to life. I think we understand that. And Paul is praying that we would understand the revelation, that you today would understand the revelation that the power that raised Jesus is going to raise you at that glorious day. And you will be restored by that power. It's the power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So it's twofold. It's actually fourfold. We're going to get to what the power is here in a second. He raised him from the dead. He puts him at his right hand. And then what else does he do? He, he's far above any rule or authority, power or dominion. And every name that is invoked... Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. He's over everything. Okay? Because of that power. He raised Christ from the dead. He seated Christ at his right hand. And he placed everything under his feet. Watch this. This is a wonderful quote from a commentary that I'm using to help guide us through this study. If the death of Christ is the chief demonstration of his love. So his death. Wow. Like for me. For you. There isn't, there is no greater love than that, the Bible says. There's no greater expression of His love than Him dying for us. Then there is no greater demonstration of His power than to resurrect that life. And that's why our entire faith hinges upon the resurrection. Apologists and, you know, Folks who are doing evangelistic efforts all over the world are taking people right back to the resurrection. Historians, the resurrection. Okay? Biologists, the resurrection. Medical people, the resurrection. Archaeologists, the resurrection. Every sector of our understanding is affected by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The beautiful thing here in verses 22 and 23. God placed all things under his feet. And he appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who lives fills everything in every way. And so what that power did, let's take a look at it here. I think you fill it in on your, on your outline. He raised Christ from the dead. He seated Christ at the right hand of God. He placed all things under Christ Jesus' feet. And he made Christ the head of the church. There it is. Wow. Action-packed verses here for us to, cont- to, to, to contemplate. And Paul uses the same term here that Jesus used back in, it's Matthew 16, 18. Do you remember the ecclesia? 
Remember the gathering? It's, it's universal also. He's talking about all believers everywhere, no boundaries. All gathered believers, including you and I. All of us, worldwide, throughout all time. Christ is our head. And remember, Paul is praying for us that we would understand that power. That the same power, with the same effects, is extended and available to those of us who have believed. Those that have placed our faith in Jesus, we are the church. And we're going to be resurrected through that power. We will be seated at the great banquet table of God the Father through that power. And we will be given dominion over all things in the new heaven and the new earth in Christ by that power. And we will be the true body of Christ connected and worshiping, loving, and dwelling with our head, the Lord Jesus, through that power. We will be the church. Now, how about we just start doing that now, huh? We are his body, the fullness of Christ on the earth. There'll be more on this when we're talking about our relationships to each other. But we as the church, and this has helped me personally, this has helped me because we live in a post-Christian, post-church culture. We live in a post-church society, right? Let's, let's face it. That's the most difficult thing for guys like me because like I'm, I'm working, we're working for an institution that is viewed as irrelevant. We're working, we're dedicating our time, effort, resources, uh, brain power, everything we have to an institution that people are suspicious of. Like, I'm, I'm praising God that you came today. Yeah, I've said this before. There's a ton of other things you could be doing. And what your friends and neighbors are doing right now is what you could be doing. But you're not. Praise God. By the power of God, through the hope of God, the riches that we have together, as a community, we need to get back to this. We need to understand that we are not just an institution. We are the fullness of Jesus. We are the fullness of Christ's body here on this planet, in this community, on this corner. For each other, but for the world. Wow. And that, my friends, is the ecclesia that God ordains. Not just something made up by man. And so if you're hesitant... Like, we're going to offer membership. We're coming up on membership in October. Well, you want to join the organization? Like, stamp, here's your approval. You're in. That's not what it's about at all. Church membership for us is going to be joining the fullness of Jesus. Coming and saying, no, I am on, I am on the page. I get it. I'm a, living a God-ordained life in a Christ-centered way led by the Holy Spirit, and I join forces with this community. That's what membership in the church is about. It's not just jumping through a hoop. Because if that's what you thought it was, I wouldn't want you to do it for that. We want you to do it because you understand this. and That you're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus together with us through this process of living in the hope, understanding the riches awaiting us, living in that power that binds us together. Who do you know right now, this morning, that needs this kind of prayer, because that's what Paul did. Who do you know that needs to be enlightened to the hope, to the riches, or to the power of Christ? That's what we're praying for. That's what we're singing about. Those who have no hope right now need the hope of God. Those who think that this world is the only thing, 
They need to understand the riches of the inheritance that we have. And those who need the power of Christ, they need revelation. They need a new, fresh wind of God's power in their life. And I just would encourage you to pray like Paul. Use these verses. It's chapter 1, verses 15 and on. To guide your prayers for these people this week. I want you to pray like Paul and ask God to give them the spirit of both wisdom and revelation. And just as the great love of God is displayed through the cross of Christ, His great power is demonstrated through the resurrection of Christ. Amen? Come on up here, worship team. We are going to give you a chance to really seek God's praise and to sing some timeless, wonderful words. And I want to share with you a prayer. Now, I may even just email this out so that you can start praying it with me. When I got the job here about two years ago, I printed this. It's a quote by Thomas Aquinas. I didn't even put it on my slides because it is right in front of me every day. And it reads like this. Merciful God, I ask that thou will grant me to seek earnestly, to investigate carefully, to know truthfully, and to present perfectly the glory of thy name. Amen. Amen. Let me pray that over you and we're going to let you sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great and majestic, powerful prayer of Paul. And I thank you for this letter and all that it will mean for our church as we unpack it together with you. Holy Spirit, come and give us both wisdom and revelation that we would seek you earnestly and investigate carefully, Lord, to know truthfully and to present perfectly your glory in this world. That's our prayer, God. Help us to do that. Help us to be that for each other. In times of pain, in times of hurt and uncertainty, God, be with us. Bless our church as we serve you, our head. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.